The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and today we're talking with Court Rustemeyer about the importance of outdoor education and the role it can play in a healthy school community. But of course, before we get started today, uh, we do want to situate our conversation in the land. Now, a land acknowledgement is a deeply personal step towards reconciliation and towards acknowledging our responsibilities towards one another. The Everactive Schools team has been committed to lifelong learning in our efforts to decolonize the systems we work within, and we've been making efforts to indigenize the ways that we take up comprehensive school health in our communities. Our process in trying to craft more meaningful land acknowledgements will continue, of course, as we strive to respect the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and of course, as we continue in our own individual personal learning journeys. Today, we're talking about outdoor education, and schooling in the outdoors on the land is a profound privilege in the beautiful spaces where we live and learn. In Alberta, we're all treaty people living in Treaty 4, 6, 7, or 8 territory across the Métis Nation regions of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. We want to, of course, acknowledge the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples whose footsteps have marked our lands since time immemorial, long before those different boundaries and territories were established. And also, importantly, we want to give thanks for all elders and knowledge keepers with us today, as well as those who've gone before us. Indigenous communities have engaged land-based learning for centuries and long before colonization. It's as though our, our school systems now and, and our research is now just catching up on the benefits of learning in the outdoors. You know, students and teachers can deepen their connection to the land through learning outdoors. And we can all learn the important role we play in relationship to the health of our own and our natural and built environments. Each person who engages in this journey, engages in time outdoors, will have personal stories and feelings that connect them to the land where they are in different ways. But we all have a responsibility to dig deeper to understand the importance of the land for all who have been and will be a part of it, past, present, and future. So thank you all for joining us. This is also a friendly reminder uh, that you can listen to this podcast while you're tending to your own well-being, because we do want you to be able to uh, take care of yourself while you engage in this learning. So uh, we always like to start off court with a conversation about our own habits for taking care of our well-being. If you would please get us started by sharing some of the ways that you you take care of your wellness and your well-being on your own time, I guess, when you're not so busy teaching and doing your work with GEOC. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, just a pleasure to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, I guess my own well-being is I'm, I'm a creature of habit and I like to practice what I preach. Really, I love to get outdoors, whether it be for a bike or a hike, uh, even just go to the walk, to the dog park, etc. But just getting outside in some capacity, and that's my go-to well-being. I know that um, in the daytime, even with my students, I feel like I'm having a bit of a, a down day or need to get outside. I'm like, let's go outside, like, time to go. And I just, I use that to my advantage with my students, but in my own personal time as well, in my free time evenings or my weekends and just, yeah, just nature's there for us. And, you know, I want to be my own advocate for it, but it's, it's been the best thing for me and my well-being is just fresh air breaks and taking time to slow down and recharge in nature and just allows me to reflect and unplug like literally which is so so nice 
Oh, and it's so important, the amount of time we're spending on screens, even still, as we're back in person with activities and with schools. Uh, but that's such a good point. The outdoors are really accessible, even in urban spaces, just that fresh air and, and finding opportunities to enjoy nature, whatever form it is locally. I think that's a really, really great point. So you're a full-time outdoor education teacher, as well as the president of the Global Environmental and Outdoor Education Council, which we affectionately call GEOC. And you're also on the board of directors for the Outdoor Council of Canada. My first question is, wow, how do you have the time? But I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna go there. Maybe I'll ask a more interesting question, which is what led you to this work, especially around bringing the outdoors into a school setting or you know, bringing the school learning setting classroom into the outdoors? I, you know, I guess back to that time question, even though I think we make time for things in life that we love and wanna do. And I've been so fortunate and lucky in my life to be surrounded by just amazing, incredible, inspiring people. You know, and I feel like I owe a lifetime of gratitude and a lifetime of giving back to people and students around me just for what I've been given in my life. And that's kind of part of my drive. But, you know, it's led me to my the work is just simply that I just I love to learn. I love to constantly grow. And I have a, you know, a career ahead of me of still learning and, and modifying things and doing and trying different things. And I just I constantly am just so hungry for that, you know, whether it be new techniques or, you know, new ways to teach something or just a different variety, different take on something. I want to see what people do. And that's kind of what drives me all the time is just surround myself by these just amazing people that I get to work alongside with or meet at conventions and conferences. Because I know that selfishly, I'll be able to take away something from it more than they will. You know, even like I always laugh about how, you know, if I lead a hike for somebody or lead a activity day, et cetera, I'm always curious to see what kind of gear the people brought or what's, what kind of lunch they bring and how they pack it. And it's the littlest, oddest kind of things, but I just take away so much from all the participants and the questions that they have. And that just inspires me to do better or to modify my work. You know, that's kind of my, my, my real drive. And then my work with GEOC and the OCC and some of the boards I sit on, it really, it comes back to my students. You know, I, you know, I want to help my own community where my home base is as a full-time outdoor ed teacher in my school community. And, you know, anything I can do that can help, you know, inspire them to be better advocates for their, not just for nature, but in their neighborhoods and, and their families back home, it's, it's worth it. And so it's it's nice that I can see examples and take examples and use my students. And that really is my drive for all, all things like, you know, from councils to uh, presentations. It's, it's just such a instant, um, you know, growth in a garden to see the flowers blossom just like that when I can bring an example in or try something out and I get to see it pass, fail, whatever, it just it's, it's neat that way. So that's that's really brought my, my attention that, that way for those clubs. In terms of bringing the outdoors into a school setting, I just think my whole life, you know, I was, I don't think I was crazy high academics, you know, I worked my butt off for high grades, but, you know, I always found that I was just a hands-on person and I love the outdoors and I love those sports, et cetera. And when I see my students, I know that, Hey, like there's different ways to learn. And, you know, I think we're such traditional learners in the sense of these four walls and these lessons must be in this setting. And it's well, why? And, you know, I think that seeing kids in these different settings is incredible, but I think anyone who's taken part in outdoor education is just, you see the, the crazy benefits that I can't even put, I still can't put into paper. And maybe I'm riding a bit of a high right now. I just came back from back-to-back multi-day trips. I had a five-day trip to Nordig a few weeks ago. And then um, last week, I got back from a seven-day trip 
up in Barhead in the center of the province of Alberta with 32 grade eight kids. So back to back multi-day adventures where I saw these kids just, oh, just grow and just it's amazing what I, I can't even I can't describe right now what I what I experienced with those kids and how amazing it was. But those things lead me to want to keep doing it more and more and the impact they all have on their own lives and their communities is just you can't ever take that away from them. And it's just you can't even quantify what that is and how impactful it is for for them and for our school. Incredible. I appreciate, first of all, you starting from that place of passion and being a lifelong learner. I can say as like a generals teacher and then in in junior high and high school, uh, more of a humanities and math teacher, I would never feel like I had the place of expertise to even begin outdoor ed type learning. So for you to say that you're always learning, I think also it makes it more accessible for teachers, right? Like we're, we're all in it together. We're all learning. And uh, you don't have to be an expert to begin in that journey. Obviously, there's some important information which you're going to share with us in our conversation today to help us get to that place of comfort and, and knowledge. But I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And your passion is so apparent. I, I do find it really hopeful that it's not just the outdoor ed teachers who get to have all the fun, but I think our conversation today will show that any subject teacher, generalist teacher can bring learning outside and get to experience that joy of nature. And especially the way that that you speak of nature being like a, a place for inclusive and accessible learning, right? You get to just like experience nature as it is in its perfection and imperfections, right? Whether things like work or fail or, or what have you, like you get, you get to share that experience without judgment. And I think that's so core to what learning should be. I'm also just exhausted listening to, to you share about your really long outdoor camps that you've been busy with over the last few weeks. They sound like incredibly exhilarating and, and powerful learning experiences, but also I'm sure they were a little bit exhausting. I'm wondering if you I mean, this is kind of the fun stuff of outdoor education. I'm, I'm wondering if you could share with us, like, what are the types of activities you do in your outdoor education classes from those full day overnight trips in nature to maybe even like the, some of those more day-to-day activities that you do with your students? Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I think like I was said before about the, you know, the subjects you mentioned about going outside, different subjects and adventures and you know, I guess for all teachers listening, I guess, you know, don't let the phys ed or option CTF kind of teachers take the take the wheel in terms of like the fun classes, quote unquote. You know, any teacher has that ability. Go outside, have some fun and um, make that part of your classroom routine. Right. Don't let the four walls, you know, make you a not as a boring teacher, but, you know, like don't let don't let people like me steal a show and become just a fun teacher because it's, going outside. <laughs> you know, and I think anyone go outside. Right. So steal that thunder from people for sure. Go outside with your classes and yeah, flip, flip the table a little bit. But yeah, definitely, there's definitely some activities that, you know, I love in my classroom and my, the program. And I guess one of the things is that maybe is intimidating, though, before we ask this question is the fact that, you know, sometimes you, you hear like multi-day, like six, seven, eight, or a 12-day trip. And people are like, oh, my gosh, like snow caving, what is that? Winter winter skills, survival camps, and, and like minus 20, you know, and they and they kind of like automatically, that's, oh, dread to them is kind of like, that's too much for me. I can't do that. And it doesn't need to be that kind of a... Uh, on the spectrum, right? There's things like even going outside and just reading a story in the field or having a sit spot where you're just going to be just you and nature in the little forest nearby or a community center or a bike on the 
river pathway. There's all kinds of different levels. And, you know, I did not start out by doing big 12 day trips to the, with the West coast, you know, which I do every year or those kind of things that, you know, you start local, you, you build your capacity and you learn from people around you and you, and then you get confidence, then you go for it. But um, these aren't things that are done overnight, but there's definitely some amazing things that I've enjoyed doing with kids. And I would definitely capitalize on that anytime. COVID was interesting. One saving grace for my, honestly, my mental health was the fact that, you know, trips were allowed, you know, I was allowed to escape and I was allowed to go on, you know, local biking trips or go for walks and hikes. And then slowly the province let us have a bus again and I could go to the mountains. And it was just such a beautiful thing. Uh, the last two years, though, we haven't been able to leave the province of Alberta for any trips. And then we just got this past spring, the, the kind of like the green light for overnight trips, which was just a huge blessing for us this past month here, I guess. But so a typical year, yeah, like I'm gone, like, I don't know, like 50, 60 trips a year. Pretty wonderful. So day trips, things like, you know, there's hikes, there's skill camps where I work with local universities like Mount Royal University, UFC, where it's like a couple hundred kids will do some programming and all kind of student led, whether it be a university class helping lead the camp or like my grade nines leading my grade sevens in skill camps, uh, which is again, part of that ecosystem kind of culture uh, in the program, uh, giving back and everyone helping out uh, things like rock climbing, paddleboarding, mountain biking, cycling in the city along the river pathway, which is one of the best trips ever. Actually, the kids love biking the Bow River, you know, pathways in Calgary. We stop for ice cream and we tour the architecture and, it's just, it's an incredible infrastructure. What a chance for them to see the city, especially from our school area in the Southwest, to know that they can bike all the way down to the Calgary Zoo across the entire city and like in no time flat is pretty eye-opening for them, which is wonderful. You know, then you got like some of those bigger sports where we go like, like snowshoeing, skiing, you know, we do some avalanche training as well. For overnight trips, yeah, like then there's much, much more than that, but Maybe I'll let people fool me up if you want more information. But I think for um, big, big trips, yeah, we do things like multi-day camps, winter camping, snow caves, uh, multi-day biking trips. And this past year, yeah, we went on a five-day trip, Nordeg, and then we did a, went to Barhead for a big seven-day. And then usually if we're allowed to leave the province, I'll head out to the coast for a big 12-day trip. And these are kids that are in uh, my outdoor leadership club that apply themselves all year long to do big applications and volunteer hours and they kind of earn the right for the overnight trips and it's kind of a bit of a all the overnight trips I kind of require the kids to either come early to school for a few days a week or for lunch times and I want them to kind of you know buy in and earn that spot for overnights and just have a little bit better understanding of what goes into it and and then I myself get to know them a little better in their families and then they know the importance of the bigger trips and how it's not just a holiday but it's a lot goes into it and it, with that comes a big reward, but uh, you have to work for it. So many of things. Then we have our our class day to day. You know, we have like a I've um, worked with Parks Canada a little bit, and we have a a practice bear. We use um, some bear spray. If you ever been on Twitter on my Twitter before, you've probably seen it. Uh, Bruce the bear is a big like bear spray trainer, which is just phenomenal. Yeah, so different kind of units like orienteering and geocaching. Uh, we do some West Coast carving. This past year, kids carved their own paddles and some spoons, etc. Yeah, just tons of stuff. I'm very, very lucky that I get to, I think, not play all day, but definitely have some fun. That's for sure. 
Well, it certainly sounds like a blast, but I agree with what you're saying completely. It's a lot of work and and I have not had to experience it myself planning for those trips, but I know I've witnessed colleagues really uh, put so much time and effort into planning and, and executing those trips safely. So although you do get to play all day uh, and have lots of fun, uh, it is tons of work uh, to prepare for those trips. And it's such unique and important and lifelong learning for those students like the the amount of you know collaboration that's required to take care of each other in in that environment and and the amount of trust and responsibility that goes into coming together as as a cohesive team to ensure that everyone's taken care of it it really is high impact learning and of course lots of preparation for it to happen yeah yeah it definitely it definitely does you know i think that the work that goes into it, it it's Really, the, the only analogy I have really is that kind of garden where it's just you you water something and then the kids just give back right away. And it's like just that instant blossom, which is, you know, in life, sometimes things take quite a while or, you know, that's but to see these kids and the reward is just it's right there. It's like you have these instant carrots for them, which is, which is pretty awesome to have that as that ability as a teacher or a class where the reward is right there in their grasp. And it's just the, the, the buy in is just huge and it's just it's incredible how you can take something or your lesson plans can go kind of around that sometimes the, the lucky of the you know the curriculum of a ctf or cts class like Dread or an art or a drama foods so where you see kids kind of start exploring an area and you can just go full on in with it which is something to say nicely about you know the you know other kind of classes that maybe you're stuck a little more and you're you're being led by the curriculum or led by uh, that, you know, that design. But uh, for the option classes and the CTF, CTS world, it's, you have a bit of freedom, which is, it speaks more to the, the validation of students' own learning, which is, which is very, very powerful if used properly. Oh, totally. Absolutely. That is something I thought a lot about as an elementary generalist. And then again, when I was teaching some core subjects in in junior high and high school, you know, outdoor education exists in its own curriculum at the junior and senior high level, but there are opportunities for outdoor education for elementary students or in that cross-curricular context. And I think it can feel daunting, but I'm wondering if you could maybe share what you've learned about how you can connect this learning to other core courses or or through that cross-curricular lens. And it can be supported as part of, you know, every teacher's practice. Yeah. And then so often I hear this from, you know, from teachers and I've done actually a few presentations in the last couple of years on, on just, yeah, just getting outside. And I think one of the most daunting things or perhaps maybe one of the biggest hurdles that some teachers feel is just like, they say, I can't, I don't know, no time. Right. And there's kind of like, I kind of, it comes down to almost like three or four different roadblocks. Right. And it can be like, yes, like administration support sometimes. Maybe they want you to stay inside or they're not sure where you're, what you're doing, or it could be a bit of budget, nothing to use outside or equipment, or it could be space. Maybe you think you don't have space for it, but then the time piece, like time is like, well, I have to get through topics X, Y, and Z by the end of the week. You know, there's how can we waste time and go outside or, I get through this when often it's the flip side of things, right? Where if you take that pause, you go outside for, forget even the school part of things. If you go outside for a mental health break and just get some fresh air and read a story outside or do a bit of a lesson, you can guarantee they'll come back inside recharged and ready to go for, you know, a few hours more, right? That's why they have built in recess and lunch at the elementary setting. Whereas it's funny how 
in junior high and high school, they don't really get a nutrition break. Uh, like, or are they going to have like a five minute break between classes and that's it between two periods of eight minute blocks and they get a 30 minute lunch and then back at it. So it's when one of these kids are sitting there drained in these desks. Right. But, you know, for elementary teachers and generalists, I'm, I'm often kind of jealous as a junior high teacher, you know, I only have my students for that one block a day. Whereas the generalist, you know, they have the kids for the entire day, every single day, you know, and that might seem for some like, oh, yes, we have them the whole day, like, we'll try to trade you. Um, and I get that, that that feature, but give it an honest shot. Like, look at your schedule Monday to Friday. Be like, okay, what, when is the best time? If I can go outside with my students like once this week or once a week for a walk around the neighborhood or around the playground, is there a time when we can do it you know, where – the kids have time for maybe to get organized, to get changed. Yes, kindergarten kids might take like three hours to get their snowsuits on. But like, how can you build that in? Maybe phys ed is on the field at that time. But find a time in the in the block and work that into your own schedule and give it a shot. Just take one lesson outside a week, whether it be story time or maybe just an honest, just a walk around your, your playground to find a spot where the kids can actually start sitting or gathering the thoughts or collecting things for math, for counting and patterns and you know, doing little scavenger hunts. There's so many different cross-curricular opportunities outside, which is just, it's amazing to me how more people don't go outside, to be honest. Like, think about all the option classes, like all the fine arts, from music, like the noise of nature, or art, like the colors that you see outside. Math and symmetry is just mind-blowing when you look at nature and how things are shaped and designed and the look and patterns of things. And, you know, I think that if teachers give it an honest go, even to once a week, They'll find that it actually becomes, if anything, a big, big mental health break for themselves and their kids. And they're going to start to become advocates of the class and want to explore more. You know, the high school people classes that are that are really curriculum driven, it can be hard for them. But again, I know that those those high school kids in those 80 minute periods, I'm sure that a bit of a break once a week where they go aside for something or a bit of a lesson and just... Like give it a shot. It might work with some classes. It might, it might not with some, but until you try it, you'll never know. Don't let the four walls just control you, which I think for so often we're taught that this must go this way or you must be seated in desks in rows. That's the best way to learn when, you know, when we do so much other stuff to help kids make individual plans or, you know, support them in different ways with technology, et cetera. Well, maybe giving them nature breaks should be part of an IPP or as part of that support should be for all of us, actually. I couldn't agree more. I was chuckling to myself because uh, I started in, in high school and then junior high, and then I spent a few years teaching grade five. And uh, when I first had to go out for recess supervision, I was like, oh, man, this is the worst. Like, I have to go out in minus 20 weather, whatever. But I changed my tune pretty quickly because once I went back into the junior high classroom, I missed that so much. I think, you know, just having that break with the students outside, fresh air, no matter the weather, was of such great benefit. So I hear that when you say not just for students, but everyone's well-being. Just that time outside, away from screens, doesn't even matter what you're doing, is, is so valuable. And I also really appreciated what you talked about in terms of, like, using nature as the classroom because, like, being in the outdoors, again, whether you're literally in untouched nature or even in those urban spaces where there are built environment is what surrounds us, you have those opportunities to to learn to look at that environment differently and care for it differently. Like it's not just for 
recess or like when you're forced to go outside, but you can actually like make those choices and you can take that time to notice things differently and, and then learn to care for it differently or understand it differently rather than, you know, learning these abstract concepts, we can actually get outside and see so much of the mathematics of nature and, and of the world around us and have that opportunity to actually like see what it is that we're really learning and trying to grasp in abstract ways. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes back to like the finding the why in something, you know, you, as adults, like we're not going to commit to anything or want to do anything if you don't know the why behind it or how does it benefit my life? Really? Why should we think any different than from kids? You know, kids are very, very smart, uh, you know, from all ages. And if it doesn't relate to their life, the curriculum or the topic, they're not going to rem- remember it for sure or they're not going to buy into it. So, well, we want kids to become advocates or understand topics, then maybe take them outside, then tell them the curriculum or then tell them the story. Or again, if they, if they don't know why they're doing it or have an understanding of how it's going to be applied to their life directly, that just takes them further from the understanding, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and so it is important to even model the importance of just getting outside, not only for the learning, but just, you know, for our own well-being too. Which I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak about that next. Can you share what some of those benefits are of outdoor education or learning in an outdoor environment for students and teachers? I know you touched on a little bit of that already. But yeah, share some of these benefits that you've seen in students and even colleagues in spending time outside. Um, I think for outdoor education as a student, it's a really cool blend of being independent and polishing your own skills and work ethic. But at the same time, you have to be so reliant on those around you. Take setting up a tent, for example. You know, you have to know your own safety procedures, how to do it kind of step by step. But at the same time, if you do it by yourself, a big kind of tent is going to take you forever, right? Or not forever, but a long, long time. Whereas if you have a team of four or five people around you, that task becomes a lot easier. But then as you're communicating, you're talking, who's taking the, who's taking the lead, who's going to carry that tent um, in the bags, et cetera. So it's, it really is that, that individualism in a sense of growth and taking care of your own, your own bag, your own food, et cetera. But then, oh, I'm part of my community. I'm part of my own group here. I have to make sure that my four tent mates, that they're taken care of and that they are on the same page as me. Oh, at the same time, there's six tent groups and we have to be, you know, going step by step and making sure that we're all being safe and, you know, who's, who's taking care of the water, who's taking care of this at, at, at camp. And so the benefits of Odred for kids is just, you know, it's such a powerful community. It has that that team sport kind of camaraderie, but at the same time, it's not that competitive. It's just, it's a cool, it's a very, very neat blend that allows kids to hone their own skill levels and improve on that, but at the same time, directly impact those around them and take the lead or maybe they can be a quiet leader um, and how you need a, a classroom made up of, all walks of life, you know, from the quiet kids, to leaders and how, and how and when to use your skills and characteristics. It's, it's really cool that way in terms of the benefits felt dread for kids and that confidence they get because that, you know, that intangible um, that they might grow to. Um, for example, on the big trip, I just finished kids. We did a really neat kind of land walk and all under the guidance of um, some people that own the land, but we were able to actually harvest a, a small kind of young tree and the kids went out and they thanked the land and they were able to individually cut down a small, small tree um, actually to help grow the other trees around it. Cause by taking some away, it makes the other ones grow bigger and stronger and more light. The kids then took that tree and they 
they then individually carved their own hiking sticks from scratch from that tree. And the whole time giving thanks to the tree and the land for being able to use it, but then working safely on their own, carving these these hiking sticks, walking sticks on their own from this tree, they then harvested. So it was, it was a neat little activity where it was just Zen to watch 30 kids doing this across this, this area and, and just the different emotions they were feeling and then the praise for one another and help each other out and all student led, student directed. It was very, very powerful to see that. And, you know, again, you can't get that in a, in a classroom reading a, a worksheet. It's hands-on. As a teacher, for me to watch that, here I am still like, you know, 14, 15 years later, like I still can't describe that to, to teachers or students what I saw because unless you were there, you missed it. So I think for teachers to see kids in that kind of a light and to see them just grow and shine in different ways and have that confidence where maybe in a classroom setting, they're very shy, timid or intimidated, you know, and then outdoors, they're just, they're the ones that are yeah, lighting the fires, cooking the meals and excited laughing. And it's just, I feel very lucky and, and blessed in the sense that I get to see that from students that most teachers don't quite see all the amazingness, you know, but I, I do, which is very, very lucky. Yeah. It's wow. That's, that's really impactful. Um, Cause really students should have, have the opportunity to thrive in those ways in schooling, but the way our schooling is structured. It's not always the case. So that's really insightful and, and reminds us too that like these students are whole beings, whole living beings. And this opportunity to engage in this kind of learning will change their lives, maybe even the trajectory to have those opportunities, right? Or even to stay in school. Like I know there are quite a few students who this is the thing that keeps them in school and gets them to that finish line, uh, which is so important. But it would be so great to transfer that power across the subject areas and support students in finding their connection to the outdoors through multiple different pathways, which could be tricky, which which kind of leads to my next question. You know, like teaching in an outdoor environment is is very tricky, complex, which is, I think, one of the reasons folks will just kind of defer to the classroom space because it's there and it's it's less complex. I guess not actually less complex, but the physical space is maybe less complex uh, than being outside. How do you troubleshoot things like weather and like affordability, all of these different aspects of getting a group of students to a particular place to engage in this type of learning. So beyond just the like heading outside to the school grounds, how might you you troubleshoot things like weather and cost and those types of things uh, when you're when you're thinking about these outdoor learning opportunities? One of the best pieces of advice that I got a long time ago was just patience. You have time in your hands, you know, to to not rush things, but just to really think about things and be logical when you are planning a trip or whether you are in the middle of a trip. And it was almost like a, you know, a first aid course kind of thing, like time, like time can be on your side, you know, and you do what you can and you go from there. So I think for the weather, living in Alberta, especially in, and in Calgary here by the Rockies, you know, I kind of had to stop worrying so much about the weather a long time ago because it changes like every like hour. It could be different here in Calgary. It could be like, well, today, for example, it was like plus 20, then thunderstorm came by, then went through. But then our city is so big here in Calgary that, you know, two thirds of the city didn't get hit by it. It was blue sky. And then other parts of the city, it was like said plus 20, but probably about plus eight. You know, it could be snowing tomorrow here. Like you never know what you're going to get here in, in Alberta, right? And so I think that sometimes what the the best remedy for that is just, 
that cliche saying, you know, like hope for the best, but plan for the worst. I believe in that, you know, have your kids do your gear checks and, and plan with all the different kind of resources they can from rain jackets to winter boots, et cetera, and, and certain activities. And you go from there. You've done your due diligence and you've done your work that the kids are having an amazing time, you know, and yes, of course, you get to those thresholds where, okay, this, this trip should not happen today because it's minus 40 and that happens, you know, every January for a few days at least. And those kind of things where you cancel and you move on. And I think the kids appreciate that. The fact that you are, and parents too, that you're always looking at the weather and, hey, like, you know what, we're going to reschedule. These things happen in life. This is why, et cetera. And yeah, but the, the weather can be, you know, if, if you stress too much about that one, that could, that one could really be a, a damper on the mood because it can be, can be tricky. But just do your best planning wise. That's my only piece of advice for the weather is just, you know, hope for the best, but always plan for the worst and be honest with the kids about that. For other, other kind of roadblocks, things like, you know, maybe like admin support, maybe they don't want as many trips going on, or maybe, yeah, just like funds. Maybe you can't afford certain things or you're, you live in a school population where, yeah, they're not going to be able to afford clothing or gear or don't have that accessibility to it. Again, you know, I think for those kind of pieces of advice, like really it's, I don't want to deflect the question, but don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, there's people out there that are experienced outdoor teachers or there's councils like, you know, like Everactive, like HPEC, like GEOC that we're out there to help you out and we want to help you out. So if, you know, if you're in need, please contact myself or these other councils and we'll gladly walk you through some tips and tricks and, and help make plans. You know, there's people in this province and this country that are, that have been through those same scenarios, you know, and they will gladly help you out. And there's, you know, I, I spent many years uh, going to garage sales or, you know, asking for parent council help, or maybe even just asking in my own community for donations. You know, I know that many families from that junior high age, especially what I teach families go and they donate their clothes, which is amazing. You know, they give it to Red Cross or maybe big brothers, et cetera. I would like to send you little emails out to the families saying, Hey, like, before you donate your clothes away, just know that there's families in our own community that might need some help. And we would love some of your extra hiking boots or clothes they're not going to use anymore. You know, this this could really give a, a kid a chance to go outside from our own community. So oftentimes, families that go through the program, they know how awesome it is or impactful. And they, they'll donate a small toque or gloves, snow pants, boots, etc. And, and therefore, it stays within the community and it helps more families out, which is Again, just it speaks the volumes to the incredible community that I am able to work in. Um, but yeah, just ask for help, right? In terms of donations or funds or those things. Uh, yeah, just it can be very tricky. And, you know, troubleshooting sometimes just asking for help is sometimes one of some of the biggest troubleshooting issues that teachers have is just, you know, trying to not reinvent the wheel when people have done it for you and will gladly give you give you all their all the resources and supplies and help they, they, they can because kids or kids across this whole country world as educators if we work together and help them out then that's what we should be doing you know as teachers we're we're not always the greatest at asking for help so i appreciate that i think that's super important because ultimately like every context is going to be so different and it's always going to be tricky but there are folks there to support and I, I love that idea of even just like collecting outdoor clothing. I remember, you know, having extra pair of mittens for kiddos so they could go out for recess. Like things happen, but making sure that everybody has what they what they need to get outside is is huge. So it's great that you shared that. I could definitely add something about administration. I know that, you know, administrations and parents, it can be a 
you know, a good one to navigate around sometimes. The thing I learned long ago was just ask administration to come along, ask them to be involved in the process. Mm -hmm. You know, for elementary teachers, if you're going to go outside and find a sit spot, invite your principal or your AP or learning leader, like, hey, do I come walk with us for a bit? We're going to go outside and do a bit of a nature walk, or we're going to go read a storybook outside on, you know, on Thursday. If you'd like to come for us at 11 o'clock. And I can almost guarantee you that an administrator will take you up on the offer at least once you know, in a few weeks, mm-hmm. they're busy the first time, like they'll want to be there. And then they start seeing your idea, your vision, like, okay, I, I got this. I see where Cord's going with this with his students. Okay, I can wrap my head around this. And I see the, the buy-in. And parents, you know, they they just, they care about their kids as they should. You know, they, they love them lots. They want to know they're in good hands and great communication from yourself as a teacher saying, hey, we're going for a walk today. You know, if I just told my parents, like, from the first meeting, hey, we're going to go uh, snow, snow caving for four days, they'd be like, hold on. Like, where are you going with these kids? But that's a grade nine trip, you know. And I, I see these parents, you know, for a few years, and then we build up capacity. And and then they like, okay, Rusty, yeah, take the kids away. You're, you're, they're all yours. And so it's you, – you, you build up to that, right? And, again, you, you make them feel validated and heard. And, yeah, their, their kids are supported, right? And that's all that administration parents want is to know that – that they're being taken care of and that they're in good hands, which they are. And, you know, you're going out of your way to support them and, and try your best. And that's, that's all they ask for. And that's all we can do as well. Just do our best and communicate that as well. Oh, definitely. I think you touch on the importance of that safety piece. And then there's also that layer of liability. Like sometimes, sometimes it's, there are just so many like paperwork barriers to, to taking kids outside. I worked at a school where we had like walking field trip forms that were signed at the beginning of the year. And then we could just take our kids on a walk around the neighborhood anytime we wanted. But I realized that in lots of school jurisdictions, that's not a thing. And that's like a, a big no-no. Like you have to have forms and paperwork for anything off school grounds. Do you have any suggestions for for something like that? Like how, if you can't go beyond the school grounds, are there ways that you can just really capitalize on that school property location to get kids outside? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the paperwork can be a, that can be a tough one. It, it it does take hours of your time and it can be very cumbersome. And I think, you know, but the more I do the paperwork, the more I kind of, oddly, I, I believe in it, you know, and I'm, and I'm thankful for it because it ensures that I, I'm confident with my hazards and my safety routines and all those things. But I know that, yeah, it can be very tough. But again, ask for help. If you are in a school situation where you are in, unable to leave campus and you just, you can't get away for whatever reason, trying to find a an area of the school grounds or an area outside that you can you, you and your students can call home or live with a home base with your students you know i think the easiest thing sometimes is take them for a walk in the playground or outside and have them find a spot you know make them make recommendations saying okay where do you think it would be a good spot for class today and have them pick the spots and then therefore you'll start to find that ownership or that you know, they'll, they'll select it for you. Sometimes we stress about that or there's nothing outside or the, the, the kids can't sit here or there, but have them, you know, be part of that conversation and the kids might just find something for you. And then you can slowly maybe bring in the principal, right? Bring in these administrators into your classroom and say, hey, we were sitting here for a while, but, you know, the kids are wondering, can we go maybe a block away? There's a park nearby. Can we go there? Can we just try? I'll write some letters for parents and you might have to do a bit of work for it. But again, having a good, clean line of communication with your principal uh, and families about things. And you never know, you might get that breakthrough of, you know, of something, something different, something bigger. I think that's fantastic. What a great starting place. Let's dig into some of the stories. I know you've shared a lot already, and I'm sure you have 
tons more of, of really great stories about your experiences over the years. Do you have any favorite moments as an outdoor ed teacher or any stories about how you've been able to see the impact that outdoor education has had on your students? It's, well, it impacts my life daily, I think. Like I said, my mental health and just, I'm just so thankful to be a teacher every single day. In terms of students and favorite moments, I think recently I've had this past two years, about five or six students apply for the former students, sorry, their doctorate uh, to become doctors. And, and I'm a junior, again, junior high teacher, 79. And I've been a part of, yeah, like five or six character references for these kids to get into like med school, which is huge to me for all because of an outdoor experience and these trips and these in the program. So when these universities phone me or I do interviews with them and about these students, it's it's pretty cool to hear the universities give praise to the um, no dread program for a character reference for kids that are becoming doctors and or med schools or these you know these post these post degrees, which is it's, it's awesome. It's unreal that it goes back to that, and I think it shows how much goes into into outdoor education and how much the kids take away from it and learn about themselves and can apply for the rest of their life. And that's kind of become some of my favorite moments as an outdoor ed teacher so far is just, you know, I, I have many, many kids that come back and they show me pictures of them hiking on their own boys and girls. They're going to do like West coast trails and they're going off to like, as they're young, like off to Europe and they're packing their own tents and stuff. And it's that that's always a nice little nod and a cool little kudos. But the, the fact these kids are doing like big degrees and they're still using them this, um, that junior high experience as their as a big reference is just speaks volumes of the work ethic they had and the skills they developed uh, from that. So that's probably some of my most impactful stories as of recently. Wow, that's incredibly impactful and so cool that like you get to connect with these students all that time later and see see how those skills that you were able to to teach and coach them through have come together and transformed into a unique pathway for them. They're still applicable. Very cool. Awesome. Is there anything you wish, like maybe this, this can be like our key takeaway moment. Is there anything that you wish that all teachers knew about outdoor education so that they could better understand its value? Maybe this is an opportunity to bust some myths around that, or, or maybe it's just an opportunity to kind of hammer down on a key point. You know, I think it goes back to something I mentioned earlier about how it doesn't need to be the big flashy, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, going to Quebec, we're going on a sailing trip, we're going to, you know, wherever, or a big hiking trip in the Yukon or whatever, or West Coast. It doesn't need to be that kind of fancy kind of, a, you know, a pursuit or a, a trip. Just taking kids outside in a space is just unreal, you know. And, and like I said before, some of my best trips are just biking the Bull River a city parkway or taking kids down to fish Street park where it's a big provincial park in the middle of calgary that you can't see any houses the kids have a blast with it you know and so it's the location doesn't necessarily matter and it's again one of those cliche quotes but the journey really makes it if you sell it as an education teacher just like any kind of lesson in life if you teach them a you sell them a topic and a lesson and you you give them the why behind it they'll buy in fully and then you can definitely capitalize on those adventures far and wide, et cetera, but it doesn't need to be that, you know, start with a simple walk outside, go outside for a story, you know, just have them become 
advocates of their own backyard first and and fall in love and then it'll it'll go from there take that chance and just go outside for a 15 minute walk you know and it, it all starts with literally that kind of a step outside Oh, that's awesome. I think I have to share a personal anecdote. Uh, when I was teaching grade five, I would take students outside. We would wander just like across the street, five minute walk to a stormwater pond. And that ended up for me being like a place of so much personal learning around so many cool things about stormwater drainage and water systems and like the purpose of wetlands and all of those things. So even for me as an educator, that was like an entryway into understanding and learning about the built environment and and the role that it plays and like buying into it. So I think there's lots in there for teachers too, around like getting excited about things that otherwise just kind of fade into the background of our day-to-day existence. Okay. You are an individual who is already a wealth of resources for this kind of learning. Do you have any other outdoor education resources that you can recommend to teachers, or maybe you can share a little bit more about what GEOC can do to support teachers who are looking to uh, take learning outdoors? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, yeah, just this past year, GEOC, yeah, we worked with um, the team at Everactive and yeah, we made the Outdoor Learning Quick Draw set, which is just a phenomenal resource on your guys' website. I actually started using a lot. Uh, I know Scott Bailey and uh, we, we talked lots, et cetera. We I had the um, the Shreds game as well. From It's actually it's free on the Everactive website, I believe. Um, and I, I, I bet, yeah. Yeah, I downloaded it and I actually made my own copy as well, but I like laminate them and I carry a set with me actually all the time. And they're just, they're phenomenal for just a quick little game to play with the kids the kids like like playing them and again it's just simple resources which again thanks to reactive for those and um and our work with with that um geoc we also have a um you know the five minute field trips uh, volumes one and volume two was made just last year and again just instant i call it monday morning ready lessons um you know in terms of you what you want want a game or a team activity or some of that and it's you want it all ready to go with very little equipment and planning it's boom there it is printed out and it's it's ready to go so there are actually free downloads on the geoc website uh, just geoc.org yeah again just instant resources and the neat thing is yeah they're, they're made by teachers and for teachers so it's not you know nothing much to them but easy to print off like one page document and there it is for you so those are yeah again free on our websites and then this past year, um, actually COVID's kind of delayed a little bit, but we worked with uh, Inside Education, which is a phenomenal place for resources for teachers across Alberta. But I worked with them this past year and made a little, little explorer's backpack for K-3 teachers where they can grab this backpack and have a set of things to go outside and explore with for their the, the little ones. So things like magnifying glasses, bug jars, um, some books and measuring tapes, all those kind of things. And yeah, so we're actually hoping to do a live workshop where we have uh, 100 kids actually to give away for free. So um, stay tuned for that. And it should be in the fall, October-ish sometime. But uh, yeah, that's another huge resource we can't wait to give out. And then, um, yeah, anytime you're at a workshop with myself or any other kind of members, um, I know that we love to give away tons of swag and resources and booklets and all kinds of things from team building games to, you know, like animal tracks and all kinds of fun stuff. So Please, if you guys need anything else or any resources, I would gladly help support anybody if you send me a message. That's awesome. And I think for, for those beginning teachers, you get one free council to join when you're part of the Alberta Teachers Association. So maybe this is a plug to make GEOC that council that you're a part of so you can connect with Court and the awesome team there. And 
engage in some fantastic learning and, uh, and get some cool resources as well. So I love your five minute field trips plug as like literally uh, something you can start with tomorrow. Thinking in the kind of small nugget of learning that we can pass on to folks who are listening as we close our, our conversation today, what is one thing that a teacher could do tomorrow to bring their classroom outside? I know you've kind of just said, well, just do it as a starting place. So that's really helpful. Or even to bring the outdoors into their classroom. Is there is there one thing you just want to share as we wind up our conversation today? Oh, man. Yeah. Like, like I said before, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record or make it sound too easy, but just take that chance and go outside. Like literally just make time for it. Let's say that you you think that going outside is a, is a waste of time or you don't have time for it. Just do it once. Do it once. If it doesn't work, if you find that the kids are, you know, doesn't work in your favor or whatever, then at least say you try it out, right? But just make time for it sometimes. Make time in your schedule to carve out, whether it be a 15-minute walk around the community or your school grounds or an actual full-on lesson outside. But yeah, give it a shot. And, and if you start in September you know, and you build capacity all year long, the kids will most likely buy in. But if you go try to like, you know, all of a sudden February, you're like, let's go outside. It's like, well, it's freezing outside. I'm not going outside now. Like it's, it's hard to buy in, right? But if you start early on and you make a bit of routine with it, because kids love routine, so the teachers, I bet you it'll catch on um, in no time. Brilliant. Start as soon as possible, make it a habit. That's fantastic. Well, thanks again, Court, for for being here and sharing your expertise and your ideas. It was so fantastic uh, to have you here. And thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of The Pod Class, a podcast from Everactive Schools that inspires educators with ideas for a happy, healthy classroom. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or of course, you can head to our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources, including the charades relay and the outdoor quick draw learning resource that Court mentioned today. Until next time, the pod class is dismissed.